G'day Dons fans, Jonathan Walsh here and welcome to our round six preview of Don the Stat. The Dons are coming off a huge gather round win against the premiership favourites Melbourne and take on a hot pies side who closed out gather round with a six point win against the Saints. On a day that means much more than just football, both teams hit the biggest home and away game of the year, four and one. To chat through it all, I'm joined by my co-host Ian Hume. Humey, how's things mate? I'm doing really well, Jono. Uh, just getting really excited about what probably the biggest Anzac Day game in years uh, and really excited to see what the side can do this week. As you said, we knocked off one of the premiership favourites last week. If we can knock off the other one this week, watch out. Yeah, the anticipation's huge, mate. I'm not enjoying the 10-day the break. I, I would have been happy if we had have rolled around into Anzac Day on, uh, on Sunday and just played the next day because after that big D's win... Uh, I was pretty pumped to get into the next one. But, yeah, really looking forward to to Tuesday. It's a special day for lots and lots of reasons, obviously, more than just football. But uh, from a pure football perspective, to be back at the G with, you know, 95,000-plus fans there and, and both teams in the top four, albeit only five weeks into the season, it's uh, it's a really exciting time to be both a Dons and Magpie supporter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we start tonight, just a big thanks to Shory for joining us earlier in the week to talk about how we've seen the Bombers progress over the opening five weeks of the season. Uh, it's already been our most downloaded episode of all time, and the response we've got from listeners has been fantastic. Uh, as we said on that show, we'll be having Shory back on mid-season to get a further update. Hopefully, we have just as many positive things to talk about in that episode as we did in Tuesday's episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun doing that. Thanks again to Shory for popping on. It was, uh, yeah, as you said, the feedback's been brilliant, and, uh, yeah, he's got a... Still got a sharp football mind, so it was good to be able to get his thoughts. Yeah. Uh, also, a big shout out to our new patron, James C. If you'd like to support Don the Stat on Patreon, you can find a link in the description of this episode. Now, we covered the Melbourne game extensively during the episode with Shory. So, we're actually just going to get straight into looking at the Anzac Day game. And we tend to start with our memories of playing that side that we're coming up against. But I forgot to do the memories post this week and get the listener feedback. So, we'll just keep it short. Uh, last year's Anzac Day episode, we did talk a lot about past Anzac Day games, uh, but you've got a memory from further back regarding an Essendon Pies game. Yeah, well, firstly, uh, my dad was pretty pleased that we went with Tony, the Tony Elshaw Cup last week against the D's, and, and he got to me early this week and requested that this week be the Ron Andrews Cup. And uh, thinking of that era, there was a game that probably doesn't get talked about enough given that we went on and, and had that amazing last quarter in the 1985 grand final to go on and win the flag but it was the game the week before in the prelim final where against the pies where leon baker kicked six and paul vanderhaar kicked five and and we went on to win by 133 points so i think all the focus of Essendon and collingwood games uh, you know pies fans would talk about an obvious one that happened uh in 1990 but i think Essendon fans will uh of that era will certainly remember the 1984 prelim really fondly Absolutely. And the highlight that's coming at the end of this episode from this week is from Happier Times featuring what I think can be described as the best Anzac Day player in the game's history. Yeah, looking forward to that, mate. Well, let's go on to the current edition of the Pies and have a look at 2023. What have you seen that's changed about their game style compared to last year? Yeah. So I think the big thing with Collingwood last year was they had one main trick and they it was a really good trick and they were they executed it superbly. This year, they've added more strings to their bow and therefore they're a more dangerous side because of it. So currently this year, 
They're seventh for points for and fourth for points against. If you compare that to last year, they were ninth points for and seventh points against. So they both improved their offense and their defensive relative to the rest of the competition. Again, another thing that we like to focus on is kick to handball ratio that tells you how they like to move the ball. Last year, they were really focused on kicking. They kicked uh, 1.5 times to every time they handballed. This year, that's dropped to 1.37. So they're wanting to handball more often. And I think a lot of that comes down to the big improvement in their center clearance game. So they're a much better center clearance side. And often you move the ball from center clearance with that initial handball. And that helps explain why their handballs are up. The big addition there has been Tom Mitchell. Uh, They now have a clearance weapon. And this is showing up in their rating. So last year, they were 16th for center clearance differential. So they were down 2.1 a game. This year, they're ranked six. They're plus one a game in center clearance. Now, they do still have some concerns with stoppage. They were ranked 14th last year and 11th for this year so far. Both years, they had a negative differential, so they were losing the stoppage clearance. If you want to compare that to where Essendon is at, actually, this year, for once, stoppage seems to be a strength of Essendon. Essendon is ranked eighth with plus two per game. Uh, Coupled with our Ruckman, this could be an area we could exploit. Now, the other thing to take away from that is if you look at Collingwood's inside 50 count, they're generating five more inside 50s per game and they're conceding five less. And I think that is coming from their improved center clearance ability. Last year, more often than not, Collingwood would lose the center clearance and then get the ball back across the half back line and drive it forward. This year, they're winning the center clearance, driving into their forward line, which means they can set up which prevents the opposition from even getting to their 50, which explains why their inside 50s against are less, whilst also they're generating more inside 50s because they're getting more of that first ball there. Yeah, they're not just winning center clearance, but they're scoring really well from it. Uh, we're And thanks to one of our listeners who's uh, been able to help us with getting some extra data this year, uh, we track scores from center clearances, stoppages, which are obviously ball ups and throw ins, and then turnovers and kick ins. We we break the stoppage and turnover scores into four zones, so we can look at scores that come from you know either a stoppage or a turnover in the forward fifty, the defensive fifty, and then we break the the center of the or the middle of the ground down the center. So we've got the forward, a center, and the defensive side of center. So turnover is the most common score source in the AFL, and the Pies are no different. They score forty nine point two points a game from turnover across those four zones. But once you do break that down into into zones, then center bounces are their highest scoring source. So they score 19.4 points a game from center bounces and can see just 11.2. So they do play a little bit of, uh, you know, probably a bad analogy, but Russian roulette from center bounce, they really do get on the offensive. Uh, and that includes... Nick Dacos, who I'm sure, well, I know we'll talk a bit about later on, given the focus that's been on him in the media this week and, and from fans. Uh, and he he's part of that, either directly in the centre or, you know, linking up from half back. Uh, so, yeah, that, it's uh, it's not just that they're winning them, not just that they're getting inside 50s, but they've become really effective at scoring from centre bounces. Not too dissimilar, I guess, to, to us in 2021 through the likes of Stringer running through there. They averaged 25 points a game, from stoppage, but they also concede 21.6 a game. And a lot of that differential, that positive differential up actually comes from their big win against Port. They've lost um, scores from the stoppage count twice in their five games. So, you know, really it's that that big win against Port that sort of skews that in their favour. Mm-hmm. 
So you sort of brought it up there, but the big thing that drove Collingwood's success and, and has driven it for the last couple of years has been their intercept game. They were the third best intercept side last year in terms of differential. This year, they're second. So again, they've, they've stepped that up there. And as you were pointing out, they've generated a lot of attack from that intercept. And we've also seen some improvements with their inside 50 game. They have improved their marks inside 50. So they're up 1.5 a game. But one of the surprising things for me was their tackles inside 50 have dropped by two per game. And that surprised me because they have had some additions in that area that you think would have actually led to improvements in that metric. Yeah, that inside 50 tackle one is interesting, mate. They average a pretty modest one goal a game from creating turnovers in their own forward 50. They scored two goals in round one and three in round two. So they actually haven't kicked a goal from a forward 50 turnover since round two. So they've gone three goals, uh, three games, sorry, without keeping one. Hopefully I haven't put the moz on us there, but that that forward 50 pressure does seem to have been lost a little bit from their game. At the other end though, despite their intercept qualities and defensive 50 turnovers being their second best score source behind center clearances at 15 point a game, 15 points a game. They also concede 15.4 points a game from turnovers in their own defensive 50. So uh, they are vulnerable in their own back 50 at, at, even though it can be a scoring source for them, they're also vulnerable at cough, coughing it up. And and I guess that um, talks well to, to some of the things that we're doing well. So yeah, we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit later on. Yeah. And in terms of the list changes for Collingwood, uh, they were very active in the trade period and they definitely targeted uh, for need. I think we've been critical of some other sides uh, for just targeting players just because they're, they're good players and not really considering whether they fit into their system. I think Collingwood have, have gone and got clear players that fix some of their deficiencies from last year. Uh, we already talked about Tom Mitchell, but they also have picked up Billy Frampton, uh, Bobby Hill and Dan McStay. Uh, out went Brody Grundy and Ollie Henry. Uh, Jordan Roughhead retired, and there were a fair few delistings for Collingwood as well. I did mention Tom Mitchell before when I was talking about centre clearance. Uh, they've had years; he's had years where he's had better possession numbers since his Brownlow in 2018. But it's his best in clearances since that time, so he's recording 6.2 a game. He's having six score involvements and has a disposal efficiency of 79% a game. That's his best ever record. So he's using the ball a lot better than he ever has, arguably. Uh, Essendon fans will know small forward Bobby Hill from the failed trade bid in 2021. Uh, He's had a career best opening five games. Uh, He's averaging two goals and five score involvements a game. So again, a person of concern there. Uh, and Billy Frampton's become a real Mr. Fix-It for them. He's played a, a really strong role down back, uh, but he's also been filling in during Collingwood's right crisis, and he may be an option for them this week. Uh, they probably would have used Dan McStay in that role, but he's out due to a finger injury now. Yeah, they. I mean, they they really sort of not so much topped up because none of those players are anywhere near their, the end of their career. Tom Mitchell's obviously played a lot of football, but they they've re- really have gone and targeted all of the areas they needed. They needed some help in their small forwards. They needed some depth in their key backs. Uh, they needed another tall forward to partner my check and, and clearances, as you mentioned, was a real weakness for them last year. And they've gone and got, you know, one of the best in the business in Tom Mitchell. So uh, yeah, I think they've recruited really well and, and it's also added some depth, which is going to be really important to them this week. Isn't it given the, uh, the guys on their injury list? Yeah. Well, moving on, next thing we often talk about is how we went against this side last time. And 
I'm not sure any Essendon fan is really ready to talk about this this game. I think we all know what happened. Uh, Jono, yeah. any words? Yeah, well, I don't think we put a trigger warning at the start, so I, I don't think we're allowed to talk about it without putting that up, mate. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we leave it out. But, uh, you know, we played them obviously twice last year. On Anzac Day last year, we lost by 11 points and they kicked 15 goals three, which I think was a, a record or, or near on a record for goal kicking accuracy. And then the second time we played them, we were we were actually on top ahead when the final siren sounded and... Uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. So, you know, we, we weren't going as well last year as we are this year and, and we were able to be really competitive with a side that that went on to to make a preliminary final. So that should hold us in good stead, you would think, going into this week. Yeah, I guess arguably they've also improved as well. So big challenge. But the key thing for me in that last game, uh, despite what happened at the end of the match, uh, we were dominant for two and a half quarters. As you say, we matched it pretty well and exceeded a uh, eventual preliminary finalist. Uh, but the match was lost in that first quarter with six goals to nil. And the big difference there was that the Pies had 22 intercept possessions to eight. Now we won 53 to 43 after that, which helped explain how we got back into the game. But that early start really cost us and, and put us on the back foot. And it's something that, you know, it may be anecdotal, but it feels like Collingwood tend to come out stronger in these games. And, and we're always you know, coming from behind to try and put pressure on them or to win. Yeah, we we sort of failed that first quarter test against St Kilda, which was you know probably the last time that we play, or or the only time this year that we've played a, a big marquee game in front of a big crowd. Uh, but we did fix that against Melbourne. So uh, you know we've gone you know both ways, haven't we? At the G in front of a big crowd, we. We failed the test, but then over in Adelaide in gather round against, you know, a premiership favourite and we came out and, and really blitzed the first quarter and and probably should have been a little bit further in front at quarter time, really. So uh, interesting to see how it goes this week, but it's going to be important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in terms of selection, we are recording this on Saturday night, so no teams yet, not even extended teams. So everything we're about to say might be null and void in 24 hours. Uh, so you might be able to skip the next couple of minutes of this if you're listening on Monday morning or, or Tuesday morning. Uh, we do know already that Zach Merritt is out suspended for Essendon. There are some questions over the fitness of Jones and BZT, although reports from training suggest that they are decent chances of playing. And Sam Wiedemann has been past fit after his concussion. For Collingwood, we know that Murphy, McStay and Adams are all going to be outs. Uh, we expect to go. will come back in. I, I did notice that he didn't attend their first training, but again, they're probably just being cautious there. Uh, Our VFL squad for tomorrow has been named. Uh, None of Waller, Davey, Jones, Wiedemann, D'Ambrosio or Hobbs have been named in that side. Neither has our sub been in hind. So probably a few options there to come into the Anzac Day side. Yeah, it probably says a lot about where you and I are at Mate, it probably wasn't that long ago that on a, this time on a Saturday night we'd be, you know, lining up to get into the Swan. But here we are recording a podcast on a Saturday night instead. Uh, that said, I know where I'd rather be and it's it's most definitely doing this. So, uh, yeah, continuity has been a big part of our success so far this season, hasn't it? And, and I think that's also important when you've got a, a young team and, and you, you're learning a new game plan. So I don't think we'll see too many changes uh, other than Zach Merritt, who's a forced out. It doesn't sound like there's any other um, forced outs unless one of Jones or BCT doesn't come up. But as you said, 
you know, both of them, uh, from what we know and what we hear uh, through training reports and the like, sound like they're going to be okay. Davey was out managed last week. He didn't play in the VFL. So, you know, that tells me that he wasn't dropped and and that he he's a chance to come in. And, and I hope he does. I think the pace that he has is important to creating havoc in the Pies back 50. We, we spoke we spoke just before about how they can cough the ball up in their defensive 50. And, and Davey's someone who not only tackles and harasses, but he, he also provides that inferred pressure. Doesn't he? People sort of fumble a little bit when he's in the area. And I also think he can have an influence in helping to break down the pass press. We saw against the Saints, he was one that got over the back a couple of times. Uh, didn't quite, and, and against the the Giants as well, he didn't quite make the most of his opportunities. But uh, yeah, he, he's one that I, I think can have a real influence on the game. Hobbs has been in in great VFL form, and that's hard to ignore. Midfielder for midfielder with merit, albeit a different type, would make some sense from a simplicity perspective. Uh, the other option is to move. Caldwell into the midfield and and then Davey swap uh you know moves into Caldwell's forward role. I guess the one thing to keep in mind is that the Pies do rotate their mids. They ran six through the midfield last week, not including their ruckman, and, and they ran seven the week before. So, you know, we've we've spoken a lot about midfield rotations, and with Merritt out, this might be the week to go from four in the in the rotation to to five or six. And in that case, maybe it's it's a bit of Hobbs and Caldwell sort of sharing those duties. The other consideration. Just And I'm basing this on two things. One, it's a short turnaround to – well, three things, actually. It's a short turnaround to the Geelong game. Uh, D'Ambrosio and Holmes uh, – sorry, D'Ambrosio and Hind, neither of them were named in the VFL squad. So, you know, that, that tells me that unless there's an injury we're unsure about, that they're both in consideration uh, for the AFL side. Uh, and the other one is that I'm just not sure there's a matchup for him, and that's Dyson Heppel. So uh, – I would think that with that short turnaround to the Cats, maybe he's in the frame to only play one of those two games. It's a big game, big crowd. I know his experience will be invaluable, uh, but maybe there could be a little bit of a concern also that there's no matchup for him, given that the Pies do have you know Hill and Ginevan and and the like down there who can who are really fleet of foot and, and agile, and and they could expose him. So I wonder whether maybe this is the week we see Dyson rested and and one of Hind or Massimo come in and, and play at halfback. Yeah, and Anzac Day last year, Heppel spent a lot of time on Ginevan. Ginevan kicked five goals, won the Anzac Day medal. And as you say, they've added pace into that forward line with Bobby Hill. So you, you'd be looking at maybe at considering both Hind and Massimo in place of in place of Heppel there, maybe one on the field and, and one as a sub to, to come on and fill that role. The only concern I have with that is that both Hind and Massimo are questionable defensively and may get caught out. Um, I think both are useful, though, in breaking down the Collingwood zone and press Hind with pace and, and Massimo with skill. So, again, that could be considerations there. There's also been some concern about a virus going through the Pice camp. Uh, Moore and Kruger both missed training this week. You imagine both will be right to go by Tuesday, but if they were out, that would cause even more structural problems for Collingwood heading into the match. Yeah, more their captain too as well, and Murphy already out. It would really stretch them down back. And then, yeah, they're already got a number of ruck options that aren't playing and, and Kruger's sort of their next one. So, uh, yeah, look, at you want to take on teams at their best, don't you? So uh, it would be nice that that we had the absolute comfort that we were in a position where we could we could say that we we wanted to have everyone at the pies up and going for, for to give us a chance at, or for us to be able to prove ourselves. But maybe we're not there yet and, and we look to take any uh, any break that we can. But, yeah, ho- hopefully that 
um, they are there and, and we make a real contest of it. Yeah. Speaking of a real contest, that was what the Collingwood's last game was like. Uh, Collingwood 10-10-70 defeated St Kilda 9-10-64. It was a real arm wrestle for three quarters until Collingwood managed to break the game open with four fourth quarter goals. Uh, Colling- sorry, St Kilda did respond with three in the last two minutes, so they brought the margin back to six points. But again, it was a real tussle from two sides up the top of the ladder. Uh, Dugowie was a late out for Collingwood. Uh, Taylor Adams, who been playing sort of a more of a bit part role early in the season, stepped up in in the clearance role that Dugowie would have played, and he had eight of those. Uh, he's obviously out this week, suspended. Uh, McStay was also injured during the match for them, meaning that Frampton had to go into the ruck. Uh, if you look at, through the stats, most of the stats in that game were fairly even. St Kilda was slightly ahead in contested possession and clearance. Uh, the big difference there was that Collingwood won the inside 50s by 14 and the tackles by 15. Uh, You mentioned him before, but Nick Dacos, 42 disposals, 856 metres gained. Again, you know, people are talking him up as a Brownlow chance and I think his first five games, you know, reflect that. But of those 42 disposals, only four led to scores. It was part of score involvements. Uh, He has been averaging eight, though, so he's been quite effective there. Uh, For Collingwood, he'll kick three goals and Majacek two. Uh, and one thing that really surprised me was that St Kilda didn't really get much advantage from their ruck dominance. Uh, Frampton seemed to hold his own against Marshall. Marshall was effective around the ground, but you, you know, considering that we're looking at that as a possible strength for us this week, it is somewhat of a concern that maybe Collingwood's worked out how to deal with not having that ruck advantage. Yeah, I actually thought there were a lot of similarities in our game against St Kilda as there was in this one, albeit, you know, some of those were reversed. It was St Kilda who kicked the last couple of goals to to bring it back to a closer margin where, uh, you know, we we obviously got close. St Kilda kicked out and then and then we kicked the last couple again to to bring it back against the Saints to a, a closer margin. The Pies were still able to move the ball through the middle of the ground as they tend to like to do. It was the most inside 50s that the Pies have had this season and it's the most that St Kilda have conceded since round one. What was a little bit different was that St Kilda were able to to put enough pressure on to, to slow the scoring and to outnumber the Pies in their forward line. Again, like they did with us, uh, you know, Wilkie took six intercept marks, Battle took five, Howard kicked four. So, you know, the Saints ultimately lost the game, but they were able to to restrict the St Kilda scoring, uh, uh, sorry, Collingwood scoring by... Yeah, making sure they weren't able to get some a lot of really deep entries. entries. Um, and it was really just a weight of numbers in the end that enabled the Pies to kick a winning score. They got the ball inside 50 often enough uh, to, to put the score on the board. And, you know, again, the Saints, just like against us, were able to score when they got the ball over the back of their zone and their smaller forwards were able to win the race back into space. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't aesthetically a, a, a beautiful game to watch, but tactically and, and structurally it was um, it was quite entertaining. Yeah, hopefully the coaching staff at Essendon have taken some of those uh, learning. Sorry, nearly said the nearly said a bad word there. Um, take some of those tactics out of the game. I'll leave yeah, that I, in as well. I did hear somewhere or read somewhere or was told somewhere. I can't remember where, but uh, that uh, our coaches actually stayed over in um, in Adelaide and stayed and watched that game. So, you know, as you would expect, given that we were already over there. Yeah. Well. Looking into the tactics for the upcoming match, uh, you asked on Twitter for questions people had about the upcoming game. Uh, we haven't addressed each directly, but you've you've tried to address each of the ideas that people have brought up. Uh, so thanks to everyone who just uh, submitted one of those questions. Hopefully we cover what you wanted to know during this section here. 
Uh, one thing that I really picked up on uh, from the post post game shows was from Lee Montagna. Uh, he said that the two sides that have most troubled Collingwood this year have been Brisbane and St Kilda. And these are teams that really rushed up and pressured the ball carrier. Now, that was how we defended last year. And arguably, that's why we did fairly well against Collingwood. Uh, this year, we've really changed up how we defend. We've been prepared to concede space this year. Uh, and Collingwood have generally taken advantage of sides that have done that. Are you concerned that our new style of defending is going to play into Collingwood's hands? Uh, short answer is I'm not. The longer answer is I think there's a little bit of taking a, a match result or match results and and twisting it to maybe suit a little bit of a story here. Collingwood have averaged 95 points a game in 2023. They scored 83 points in their loss to Brisbane. So they were only two goals off their, their, you know, their average for the season and they kicked 11 goals, 17. They had two more scoring shots than Brisbane and three more inside 50. So what Brisbane did to defend in that game didn't really do a lot to stop the Pies from being able to score. What the Pies were, uh, sorry, what the Lions were able to do was they were able to smash Collingwood at the stoppages 34 to 22. Uh, Collingwood had their biggest tackle and intercept differential wins of the year. So, uh, you know, it was really just that stoppage game, I think, that that really worked for Brisbane. Uh, so I don't think what Brisbane did defensively went a long way to, to really prevent yeah, as I mentioned, Collingwood from scoring. But what it did actually do was create a scoring source for them. They did press up, and and Joey Montagna's right in that regard. And they put a lot of pressure on the Pies in their defensive 50. Brisbane kicked five goals for the game from forward 50 turnovers, which was a, a real highlight for them. So I think that's the thing that they did differently. But and Sorry, differently to an, a Brisbane side that you normally typically see. But I saw, I also think that matches well with the way that we've play, been playing or at least attempting to play. You know, we've brought Davey into the side. We've brought Menzi into the side. Snelling came in last week. And, you know, we, we really are working on trying to lock the ball inside our forward 50. So uh, so I think I think that part sort of matches what we're doing. And I don't think St Kilda do a lot differently to what we do. And we spoke about that in round three. Sort of it, it set up behind the ball. Uh, you know, we we mentioned just before Wilkie and Battle and and Howard took a lot of intercept marks. They do put a lot of pressure through the midfield and and try and force oppositions into shallow entries, which they did against us. They did that against the Pies. So, uh, but I think we've been doing that pretty effectively as well. There's a, a lot of talk about how well our back six are going, and and the media analysts do seem to be coming around to that. There's been a fair bit of hype about it this week, hasn't it? it it's which has been really unusual for us. Uh, what they still haven't really talked about, though, is the pressure we're putting in our forward line and through the middle of the ground that's making it easier for our back six. So I don't think that's that we're prepared to concede space in the middle of the ground. I just think that it's not, it's a case that we're not prepared to concede easy overhand overlap handballs. And that's something that the Pies rely on to move the ball. You mentioned that their kick-to-handball ratio is actually down. They're handballing more this year or, or handballing more comparative to the number of kicks they're having. So priority number one is still to push up and close down space. But what we won't do in 2023 is get caught in no man's land. Think of that awful last kick into the game against the Pies where uh, Braden Ham got caught. Do I come forward or do I came back? And he made the call to come forward and that created the overlap. We don't do that in 2023. We roll back and we sit up behind the ball. And that's really similar, I think, to what St Kilda did last week. So... We absolutely do need to get in their face more frequently in our forward half. We, we need to keep even numbers there and, and make sure we don't let the ball come out easy. We don't want 
to allow them to create overlap handballs. And that's as much about defending the ground and preventing them from scoring as it is about creating scoring opportunities for ourselves. Mm. Now, one of the keys for the Pies to generating that that run through the midfield is, is Nick Dacos and he's the player, as mentioned earlier, that everyone's talking about. How, how do you handle him? Do you, do you tag him or do you try and play through his opponent to make him accountable? Yeah, well, I don't know if you heard Ross Lyons' post-match press conference, mate, but he didn't seem to have all that much of an idea. So if Ross uh, can't work it out, I'm not sure that you and I are going to be able to crack it. Uh, I think it's pretty clear who, to everyone who listens to us, and, and it was a, a big message from Shorey too, wasn't it, um, when we had him on during the week, that you know collectively we're big admirers of what our coaches have done in terms of preparing and, and planning for the opposition. And I'm sure they'll have plans for Nick Dacos. But, yeah, as I said, so far this season, none of his opponents have really been able to come out come up with a plan that has, has worked in absolute effect this season. There was a a couple of things that have happened in a couple of games that that are worth noting. Brisbane were able to force him to go and win his own ball a bit more than he normally does because they were able to get a little bit more in their face and and were able to put a bit more pressure in, in their own forward 50. So 44% of his possessions in that game were contested. So he did have to sort of get out of his usual habits. But that just shows how good a player, isn't it? You know, he couldn't rely on on running past and getting handball receives off the back of clearance like he uh, like the pies really want to use him so he can be really dangerous with his foot skills and set them up so he just went and won the ball himself uh the last two weeks his disposal efficiency was down at 76 percent having been 91 84 and 88 percent in the first three weeks St Kilda pressured him into six turnovers and, and got his kicking efficiency down to 70 percent you mentioned that he only had the four score involvements where it, where he averages eight although it was a, a low-scoring game. But there was a bit more pressure on him, and, and he did cough the ball up a little bit more. He just has so many strings to his bow, and the Pies will do all they can to get him into the game, including you know using him on a wing. They'll put him in a centre-bounce rotation. So, yeah, I, I don't think this is a, a one-size-fits-all approach. I, I don't think it's as simple as tagging. You know, we spoke before round one. You know, we're talking in that case about Sicily and Jath. It can be awfully difficult to get the matchup you want in your own forward line without giving up your own structure. And yeah, so for for that reason, particularly when he's playing at halfback, I don't think the outright tag is the right way to go because I think the only way you can achieve it is by taking away some of your own um, offensive weapons. So what I think this is about is sort of playing to the percentages Center bounces and stoppages is really dangerous. Uh, so yeah, particularly when he's playing at halfback, he'll ignore his p- opponent. He'll he'll look to come from behind and he'll look to to link up. So I don't think it's any one player that plays on him, but it has to be someone. So it'll be Perkins at times, Caldwell at times, Snelling if he plays, um, Menzi, Davey. What's important is that they take the body and they get between him and the the clearance outlet and, and they don't be flat-footed. They have to be prepared to to put some body on him initially, try and get him off balance, and then try and beat him to the contest. Tom Mitchell and, and Scott Pendlebury are number one and three for clearances at Collingwood. They're also in the, the number one and number two players for passing to Nick Dacos. So he, he gets more ball from those two than he does from anyone else. To go, he's number two for clearances, just out of interest. Um, but you know, like Jake Stringer, he he he's not looking to pass it off. He's looking to to run thirty meters and and have a shot from sixty and, and put it through for a goal. So I think if we can reduce the number of times that he comes off the back of a stoppage and and links up through botting him, taking his run, and this is all easier said than done because no one's been able to do it really well. 
but then I think that's one area where we can at least have a plan to try and limit him in the, in the spot where he's most influential. I think that's where they want to use him more than anywhere else is that link up through stoppage. Tom Mitchell, Scott Pendlebury, etc. win the ball and get it out to someone like Dacos running through and he creates that overlap and, and link play. So I'm just, I'd be trying to tighten up on that as much as we can. Yeah, well, what about the other option then of playing through his man? There's a there's a theory that he's not accountable, and he sort of said that he's looking to attack at almost every turn. Yeah, that's easier said than done because if you then just drop off him, he's not going to waste too many possessions. So his his opponent has to be with him, and and has to be putting as much pressure on it on him as as he possibly can. It's not as simple as just dragging him back or isolating. He's too clever. Collingwood are too clever. They won't allow that to happen. They'll, he'll just take the matchup that he thinks is the least dangerous. So, you know, th- this is going to sound like I'm being a little bit critical, and, and I'm certainly not, but uh, he won't be worried about someone like a Will Snelling a- at all. Um, you, you know, Snelling's not someone who's going to be able to to really burst and and be overly dangerous if he wins the ball, you know, 70 or 80 metres from goal. So he'll he'll take a match up like that and, and just run off. On turnover, though, so if we can get enough pressure on him and their other runners, and it's not just Nick Dacos, right? They have a number of them. Uh, I, I think that gives a, an opportunity for his opponent to get into a dangerous part of the ground. So what's important is that his opponent does go from defense to attack as quickly as he can. So, you know, I think this is someone like Perkins or Caldwell, if they do have the matchups at time, they can really do that really, really well. But, and more generally that the pies do push high up the ground and, and Dacos is a part of that. So the more we can use that matchup, the more we can get the ball over the back of the pies press and into space and into our forward line. I think the more that we give the Pies coaches some headaches and Nick Dacos some some headaches about whether or not they can then just play their natural game. Against the Saints, our forwards got sucked too far up the ground and didn't work back hard enough. We can't afford to do that this week against the Pies. It, it, it meant that when we kicked inside 50, we were kicking to out numbers. We fixed it against the Giants. We kept Stringer deep. We kept Perkins and Caldwell early in the game, stayed deep. Menzi and Davey got up and down the ground really well. You know, I think... Uh, Menzi had 17 disposals for the game against the Giants and, and got a lot of those, you know, up around the wing. So, uh, and and then it was much the same against Melbourne. So, yeah, we just can't give them, we just can't give Pies what they want. We can't put all of our eggs in the stop Nick Dacos basket. I, I think this game isn't one purely through stopping the Pies strength. I think it's one through giving them plenty of headaches to worry about as well. Yeah, and one of the more obvious headaches for them would be our ruck advantage. I obviously Draper will will play, and I imagine Phillips will also go around again. We'll go with that two ruck setup. Uh, how do we use that to our advantage? Yeah, it's a big talking point and a big focus point. Uh, it was a big advantage for us last week, wasn't it, against Grundy? So you know, against a really good ruckman who's in pretty form, pretty good form. The Pies will come into this game without a genuine recognised ruckman. Uh, you know, they've got a few options there. Kruger, uh, you mentioned he he went off with illness from training, but, you know, he's 196 centimetres, so he's not, you know, your, your modern-day 200-plus centimetre ruckman. Uh, you know, they could bring in a debutante. Uh, it, it might also be Frampton, although he may be needed back. So, um, yeah, whatever happens, Draper and Phillips are going to be going up against someone who's, you know, either underdone or, under uh, you know, without a lot of experience. Darcy Cameron... 
was having a really, really good season in the ruck. He's hit out win percentage and hit out to advantage percentage are, are better than Draper's. He was giving them good looks at the ball. He was giving them first use and he was getting involved at ground level. In the two games he's missed to date, they've lost clearances and they've lost contested balls. So they're already at a little bit of a disadvantage in an area that they'd really improve this year. So giving first use to our mids, as well as that bigger body and competitiveness we get from both Draper and Phillips at ground level, I think is going to be really important. They do have some big bodies through the midfield. Uh, you know, Mitchell's not overly huge, but he's a really good contested ball winner. Uh, you know, Dugowie's obviously a big and, and dynamic body. Pendlebury's big and experienced. So their bodies are going to be important. It helps us to reduce the opportunities their mids are going to get to the ball and then create that outside link with Dacos and, and you know, well, both Dacos brothers, really. Uh, so stopping at the source, I think, is another really important way of stopping Nick Dacos being able to run off the back and, and set up. And as I mentioned earlier, the Pies rotated six mids through their midfield last week, seven the week before. So if we do just run with a four or the five, the energy we get from Draper is going to be really important. The resilience and the effort we get from Phillips is going to be really important at the contest. I guess that that gives us an extra rotation in itself that that the Pies don't have. And then obviously it stretches them forward. With Murphy out, you know, I expect, I think we both do, that Frampton's going to have to go back and cover because, you know, Draper or Phillips is, is really going to stretch them. The other area I think we get advantage with them is um, is forward 50 stoppages. Uh, you know, up against a Frampton or a Kruger or Oscar Steen on debut, they're going to have the body and the size to be able to grab the ball out of the ruck and, and either take shots of goal themselves, which, you know, Draper's sort of at times proven he can do. Uh, or get the ball to to one of our small forwards or mids. So, yeah, I, I think it's a real advantage in all facets of the ground. Uh, and the one that the, the last one is also that outlet kick from uh, defensive fifty when we are under pressure. You know, we need one of them presenting to to give us that 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 contest. Uh, you know, on the wing. Yeah. Well, look, we've spoken a lot about the center of the ground. What about either end? What are our focuses there? Yeah, I think our preferred back six, and let's assume that the BCT is fit and, and plays, I think it's really well balanced. Uh, I think we've got a good structure behind the ball. Most of them can play taller or smaller, and I think that's important because the Pies have some really dynamic forward options. You know, guys like Elliot and, and Ginevan are good on the ground, but also really good in the air. Dugowie's the same, you know. He's there, Jake Stringer, really powerful, can mark and also win ground ball. And then Majacek is their, their sort of main focal point and key forward. He's someone who's good in the air, but also pretty good on the ground for a taller player. So having that flexibility where we don't have to worry all that much about direct matchups and it's just doing a job in, inside the structure, I think, lends itself to, a, to the way that Collingwood play and their forward line because it means we just worry about beating our man, whoever it is at that point of time, and we don't have to worry too much about managing matchups. So I think that works in our favour. As I mentioned earlier, I, I do think it could be a, a week where um, Dyson Heppel gets rested, given that I don't think there's a, a matchup and we've got the short break to the Cats game. Uh, and, and you said it, mate, I, I think the pace of Hind or the foot skills of D'Ambrosio, yes, they're vulnerable defensively, but I think because of matchups, so is Dyson in this game. But maybe they give us something a little bit back and, and can help us to break through the Pies press. Uh, forward, I think our variety is going to give the Pies coaches as many concerns, if not more, um, that we have about theirs. I, I think we'll see Stringer play 
deep. I also wouldn't be surprised if we see him taking a few more centre bounces this week, um, particularly when Dugowie and the like are in there to try and give us that extra big body. But I think when he's forward, we'll see him deep. We'll see Jones, assuming he's fit, play high. And and I'd be watching the way that they, um, uh, you know, Stringer holds his position and and Jones gets out of the way. And, and the aim will be to create plenty of space for the like of Menzi, Perkins and, and Langford to push into. I think those three, among others, our, our, you know, our wingers pushing in and, and the like will be um, our main um, our main sources of goals, as well as the Ruckman pushing forward. And then, you know, Stringer is going to create opportunities for himself. But I think they'll play decoy roles and, and, and give space. And then, I, as I've mentioned, I hope Davey plays because I think that pace – that he has to push forward once we get the ball over their zone is going to be important to uh, to break them open. And the one watch uh, I think that could work in our favour, they've got really dangerous wingers. Uh, Dacos and, and Sidebottom are, are their two primary wingers. Offensively, and that's Josh Dacos, of course, um, offensively both of them can be really, really dangerous. But defensively, particularly Sidebottom, I think can be exposed. And, and that's happened in a few games this year. You know, Zach Tui and and Holmes in round one got the the better of them. The the Cats, you know, we now know weren't going all that well in the early part of the season. They still still scored over a hundred points, and they really did. Ex- their wingers really did expose them. So, I'd I'd watch uh, side bottom. I, I like the Nick Martin matchup for him whenever he gets that. I think he's Nick Smarts. He's his running ability to get forward on him. I think he could be a a really dangerous score threat for us. Well, as as you've gone through all that, heaps to consider this week and a lot to play out. And again, really exciting to see how we go against a premiership fancy. As always, we're going to finish with our final thought. And for this week, Essendon, as I hinted at earlier, notorious poor starters on Anzac Day. Given this, the key thing we need to do to avoid this is? Yeah, I think fix the two things that let us down against St Kilda. But we're also uh, really prevalent against Melbourne, and that is win the contest first and foremost. If we're winning the ball and getting it going forward, then it's going to give us every opportunity. And then keep our composure in the back half. Uh, yeah, we made some sloppy mistakes against the Saints, but it, uh, they weren't there against Melbourne. You know, we saw BCT take marks. We saw Levito win one-on-one. So I think, yeah, win the contest and then just keep composed in the back half. We don't need to be in a rush. So once we get the ball, take our time and, and find opportunities. Yeah. I think for me, the key thing is how Brad Scott prepares them for this match. Uh, if you had one criticism about how things have gone this year, it's that we haven't really had a dominant opening quarter to any of our games. You mentioned the Melbourne game was a, was a solid Good opening quarter, but we haven't had one where we've really taken apart an opposition as we have at other stages of games. Uh, with Collingwood traditionally starting well on Anzac Day, I think it's going to be really important. That at the very least, we match their intensity. It seems that they come out much more intense than, than we do. Uh, one thing that gives me hope in that is that Brad Scott's first coaching role was an assistant at Collingwood with Mick Malthouse, and it always seemed that Mick Malthouse's teams were really good at, at starting Anzac Day games well, so hopefully he's remembered some tips from that and can apply them uh, in this role as the Bombers coach. Yeah, it's a really good point, mate. It's not one that I considered. Uh, I th- yeah, it's nice to know that at, at the very least, at least our coach won't be overawed by the experience and, and he'll have them, you know, you would expect nice and settled and, and you know, ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all for us tonight. We tended for this to be a bit shorter and still gone for, I think, at least 40 minutes. So, 
Uh, yeah, thanks for listening to this. Uh, once again, big thanks to everyone for their ongoing support. Uh, we really appreciate it. Any final words from you, Johnny? No, uh, just echo your sentiments, mate. Thank you to everyone for the support. I know we've had a lot of new listeners over the last couple of weeks. The the yeah, the growth and, and the support from everyone's been tremendous. So thank you to everyone who's either listened to us from the start or only joined in the last couple of weeks. We we really do value support and and hopefully we can get to five and one, mate, and and uh, have a really enjoyable day on Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, expect the Geelong preview to come out either the Thursday or Friday night. We should hopefully be back to a regular schedule uh, now that we get through the weird Antec Day scheduling. But other than that, hopefully uh, those of you who can get to the game have a great time. Those of you watching at home, don't throw your remote through the TV and go Dons. Bannister to Hurd, offers to sends it back, puts it through. And then the kid knows his limitations. And he knows it. Kid knows his captain. James has no limitations. Chance for the mark. They fly. Off hands up free, but he dropped it. Got the kick away just in time. Lecuria with four to beat. Hurd, he's five fifty. The composure of James Hurd, he looks down at the ball to actually see which side the laces are. He looks down at it to work out where the laces are and lays it on his boot. Ball trickles inside 50 to Hurd. Don't kill me! He kicks that Unbelievable! He's got three. Inside 50. Ball up clear up to Mercedi. Bumps. Gives it to James Hurd. Screws it around the body. There is none better. He's got four. Behind the pack, can he do it again, James Bird? I think he may have. He's kicked five. How's that for an encore?